I didn't know what to title the message this morning. I just waiting, or who's waiting on whom, or who's doing the most waiting, or I'm I'm not sure what to entitle it. So if you if you want the short version, you can just put waiting down. I mean, that's, I I don't know, but uh, we're going to talk about waiting. <coughs> I think it was Friday. I called the credit card company and. They're, they're trying to do charges in uh, Ireland on a U.S. credit card, and it didn't seem to be flying too well. Kept getting turned down for the tour, and and so I called in and says, you know, it's like, okay, like these are legitimate. Yeah, you're going to be getting charges out of Ireland on this credit card, and and uh, like, could you bump up the credit limit just a little bit and and they're saying, well, you know, the corporate credit card limit is less than what you're asking for on one card, so we have to bump up the corporate credit card limit. And so, yeah, it's going to take three days or so till you find out, which it's okay. And she said, or oh, you want me to check now? I said, I'll check now. And that way it's behind me and I don't have to worry about it. And so they put me on hold. I mean, and they put me on hold. And it's like, dink a dink a dink a dink a dink a dink a same old tune over and over and over and over and over and over and I had things to do and, and you know, the same old tune is gone and it's five minutes and it's ten minutes and it's fifteen minutes and finally I went BOOM! On the off button and I was like, I have better things to do than waiting for whatever on this credit card. They can notify me in three days if they want to. I'm not standing here, sitting here all day. You like putting up, being put on hold? Now they kind of, when I first called in, they, they said, well, it's 18 minutes and we'll call back and if you want this feature, fine. And so they called back and ah, that's all right. You know, it's like I can go 15 minutes and come back to the phone and sit there a little bit and phone rings and we get things done. I, I don't know about you, but I hate hold. I mean, I just, I don't care what. It's like, get to the border, U.S.-Canadian border, and the cars are all the way across the bridge, and the move, line is moving, and you start calculating in your head how many feet per minute and so how many hours it's going to be till I get up there and usually it's not as bad as you think it is but yeah and somehow or the other I don't like airports you know you got to get there and then you sit and you sit and finally they call you get it in the airplane and I, I don't really enjoy flying so I, I got to wait out the airplane ride too and it's like, how many hours I'm going to do? And, and, you know, if I have a book, then it's not too bad. And if you have some Sudoku or something, that's one of the numbers that go. It's, that, that helps to kind of, but. So the average American, I, I look up on the Internet, waits about six years in line for stuff in your lifetime. At least about six years, you, you, six months waiting for traffic lights, and it said ten and a half years trying to go to sleep. 
And I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. Uh, you know, if you are, you know, so if you if you live 60 years and you wait 10 years trying to fall asleep, that's one sixth of your time. So one sixth of 24 hours is four hours a day. What trying to fall asleep? And you know, I got problems in life, but I don't have that bad problems. I'm waiting four four hours so you get asleep. Now I'm not telling you it never happened. All right, I'm not telling you it never happened. But generally speaking, if I sleep too long in the afternoon, you know, like two, three hours, then I'm like waiting four hours to go to sleep. And, but it's frustrating, so. And then I have, I was at the airport just recently, and they're having a board meeting, and so they all fly in the morning, 10 o'clock, and the board meeting is 12 o'clock. We've got an hour and a half at the airport to Maranatha Bible School, or it's 1 o'clock, and then they're supposed to eat in the mid midtime, so... So they're all coming just right in, you know, and, and some, through some texting misinformation, misunderstanding, they're sitting, waiting at the airport for me to pick them up. They're waiting a half an hour. I'm sitting in the cell phone lot, waiting a half an hour for them to get ready to be picked up. And finally, they get tired waiting and call me, and I felt like two cents. It's like... Okay, things are urgent, and things are supposed to be done, and I can't wait for them, and they can't wait for me, and anyhow, we all forgave each other, and yeah, it all worked out. Isaiah 40, 28 is very familiar to all of us. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not? neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So we have fainting people, we have people that never faint, we have people that are tired from running, and we have people that are running and don't get tired, and we have people, these classifications of people, and the difference is one wait and one don't. So does that mean I just sit in my living room and put on my thumbs? Does that mean that I'm content to wait? Is that what this passage of Scripture is saying? Is it saying, just relax. Just relax. It's going to be alright. What this passage, this word wait, means like to wrap a rope around. Alright? It means to bind together. Alright, so I'm not just sitting back, passively doing nothing. I am actively binding myself to God. We are in this together. I am claiming you. I am actively... There's an active process happening here in what we call waiting. So is God quick? 
Or is he always slow? What's your view of God? Do we make the assumption that God's always slower than we are? Like, Bible say those that slow down God are going to be better off. They that wait on the Lord. We expect God to give us things without us waiting. Like, God is the dad, we're the children, so we expect the stuff to just keep coming, right? If you're a child, you expect the food to be on the table all the time, right? That's right, it's, 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 it keeps coming. So, do we expect things to keep coming from God's direction, keep coming despite our spiritual condition? Like, I don't have to wait on anything. God's just kind of obligated to just keep the goods goods coming my way. Goods coming my way, you know. And... Um, Is that a Christian perspective? Actually, it's... I, I thought that through. Uh, you know, we, we hear that kind of sometimes, that, you know, if you're a Christian, God's, you know, He's just going to keep giving you all the good stuff and everything. But but the perspective that God is obligated to keep things coming my way despite my spiritual conditions actually a very ungodly perspective. Because that is the way they operate. Right? I mean, they expect all these good things to keep coming. Doesn't matter whether I love God or whether I don't. I don't. Doesn't matter what. You know, I, I deserve all this stuff. But in our homes, one of the signs of maturity is when a child understands or begins to feel a personal obligation toward the general cause of the family. All right. They, they're maturing, alright? And, and they start feeling a personal obligation to maybe just without being asked, go vacuum out the car. Or without being asked, straighten up the room. Or without being asked, help with the laundry. Or without being asked, help set the table. Without being asked, alright? And we as parents appreciate that to the point that we will give them we will give them um, privileges or rewards for their maturity, for their feeling of personal obligation to do, to contribute. We give them rewards, privileges that maybe we wouldn't give them if, if they wouldn't be that mature. And so we wait for our children to mature so that we can reward them for that maturity. Right?
So I have a question. Do you think God waits on us? Do you think God enjoys waiting as long as he has to sometimes? Turn me in your Bibles to John 4. Very familiar account. Very familiar account. The woman at the well. He being Jesus, verse 3, left Judea and departed unto Galilee, and he must go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there come a woman of Samaria to draw a well. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it thou being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have get, asked of him, and he would give it to him, thee living water. I assume, and maybe we assume too much, and the Bible doesn't say, but how long did Jesus sit at the well before the woman came? You can't answer that. I can't answer it. But he beat her to the well, right? And if he got there first, then he waited for the woman. Right? And he and his divine foreknowledge set up the situation and went there and waited. Could he have run the well? Sure he could have. Could he have cranked the bucket down and cranked the bucket back up and poured it into a cup or whatever or drank out of the edge of the... I don't know. They didn't drink out of the bucket or what. But that's beside the point. But I'm saying, could he run the well? Sure he could have ran the well. Why didn't he run the well? Because he had something for the Samaritan woman. And he stood there, and he said, Would you give me something? Now, in this case, it was water. Jesus sat on the edge of the well with his hand out. He says, If you give me something, I will give you something way better.
He asked for something that wasn't even culturally acceptable. Of course, she pointed this out. First of all, like, why... I mean, a woman of Samaria? We got two big objections here. But Jesus... He, he didn't. He didn't really address the objections. He stood there with his hand out, and he says, "Give me." If you knew what you were missing, you would give me. Is Jesus standing in my life? Is he standing in your life? And he says, give me only new. How many here want the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Raise them high. Let's get excited about this. Sure we do. We do, don't we? That should be the aspiration of every Christian. To have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Can he give us love? If we succumb to hatred, joy, if we have self-pity, can he give us peace if we harbor anger and bitterness? Can he give us long-suffering if we are impatient? Can he give us gentleness if we are brash? Can he give us goodness if we're selfish? Can he give us faith if we're self-centered? Can he give us meekness if we're proud? Can he give us temperance if we overindulge? Can he give us more of Jesus if we haven't repented? Can he give us a new infilling of his Holy Spirit if we're full of the world? Jesus is standing this morning and he's saying, give me. I need this if I'm going to give you this. You would give me. So who is waiting on who?
I can wait and wait and wait and wait and wait as an individual for joy. For, but if I don't give up my self-pity, like, we need, we need to understand, I need to understand, we all need to understand, we can't have it both ways. It just simply isn't going to happen. Turn with me to Isaiah 30. Verse 18. Are we all there? So we can all read it together. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will the Lord be exalted that he may have mercy upon you for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they, they that wait for him. So he's waiting so he can be gracious to us. You want the blessing of God in your life? I do. And when that happens, then he's exalted. See, see the sequence of events here. See, God's a God of judgment. He, you know, he, he looks down and, and he, he makes judgments and he's saying, well, I can do this because of this, but I can't do this because of that. And in the New Testament, Jesus couldn't do mighty works because of people's unbelief. Like, I'm, Jesus was stuck. He, he just simply couldn't do it because the people were immovable. They just didn't want to believe and they were stuck in their unbelief and they didn't have no motivation to. But if they could have, phenomenal things could have happened. And, and we see Jesus continually walking into situations where faith was exercised, where it was active, and Jesus did absolutely unbelievable things. But there's places where he was stuck. And I'm going to read 19 to 26, and this is this is this is amazing. I'm, I mean, not amazing, but it's challenging to me. For the people shall dwell in Zion, at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of that cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into the corner any more. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, 
This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. Ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver, and the ornaments of thy golden images, molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence! Then shall he give the rain of thy seed. Thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. The oxen likewise, and the young asses that ear the ground, shall eat clean provender, which hath been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of that of the great slaughter, when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days, in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people, and healeth the stroke of their wound. Get rid, he's telling them, get rid of your golden images, quit polishing them, Throw them away with disgust as trash. And then I will do this, 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 and this. Now we realize this is the Old Testament. We realize that things worked different then. Alright? God gave material blessings in, in relation to spiritual blessings. and I'm not sure how all that washes out. I'm not throwing it all out the window. I was, we had a preacher at our church one time says, you know, basically is what he said. And I want to say what his word. I, he said, and he was talking about money. He said, you give, you, you, you shovel it out to the Lord and he has a bigger shovel than you do. All right, so... That, that, that sounds pretty good, you know. It's like if I give a hundred bucks, I get a hundred and a half back, you know. So why not, you know? I, but then I read this book. It said, you know, on the health and wealth gospel, it says try to try to explain that to the beggar on the street in Calcutta. So, all right. So, but there's definitely a correlation. Okay, set aside, setting aside the material dynamics here, there is a definite correlation in the New Testament time where, where we give God certain things, God will give us way more back. That is without a doubt. God is waiting with his hand out and he says, you give me this in relation to your relationship with me and whatever and I will give you way more than what you can ever imagine to give me you know that works I know that works I think we're all human enough we're all honest enough to know that when we had things we were hanging on to and hanging on to and hanging on to and finally God brought us to the point to give it over to him that the rewards far outweighed what we gave up. 
so lowering, so dynamic in our life. But we had to get to the point where we had to just give it over. And then is when the light came on. And it says here, well, one day's going to be like ten, seven days, and I mean, the moon's going to be like the sun, the sun's going to be like seven days, and, and it's like uh, amazing things. If I put away the hatred, if I put away the self-pity, if I put away the anger and the bitterness, if I put away the impatience, if I put away the brashness, the selfishness, the self-centered, the pride, the overindulgence, the, all, all those things, if I am able by the help and the grace of God to lay them things aside and put them in the hand of Jesus like he did at the well he says give me give me now we had a devotional and we had an assignment just for this week Right? Isn't that what he said? Just for this week. He wasn't asking for big things. He said, just just for this week, you do this. Well, he must have read my mind. Whatever, the Holy Spirit's going. But I'm going to give you assignment, me assignment, just this week. Now, can we, can I, resolve by the grace of God... To do one thing, give God one thing this week that I know He wants. One thing. Now, ask the question. Now, that's a one week assignment, but ask the question what would happen in the year if I could give God? One, just, just, just one thing each seven days. What would happen in my life? What would happen in your life? Sometimes those things are obvious. Sometimes maybe they aren't so obvious. Maybe it's, you know, we just kind of rip along and we keep going wide open and, and you know, that's the way it always was and that's the way it always is. And, you know, and it's like, you know, hang on to a little bitterness last week. I still have it this week. And maybe I'm pitying myself. So I just keep pitying myself and maybe it's just time to stop and say, why, what is my spiritual needs right now? Jesus has his hand open. And I guarantee you, there's no single person in this in this building, including myself, that don't have something to put hand in the hand of Jesus. I'll guarantee you that. Because if you didn't, you'd be perfect. Anybody's perfect, put your hand up. 
All right, let's get realistic about it. We all have something to put in the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ when he says, give me. Anyone here know the song, God is Waiting in the Silence? God is waiting in the silence. I, I tried to find it. All I could find it in men's music. I wanted to put it on the overhead. And then I thought, well, maybe you just stumble over it and kind of ruin the sermon. But uh, So I'll just read it this morning. God is waiting in the silence for a heart that he can fill. He must find it cleansed and empty with a spirit calm and still. God is waiting in the silence, mid the rush and roar of life, waiting someone's heart to enter, someone quiet in the strife. God is waiting in the silence. As the world goes rushing by, will not someone Stop and listen. Answer quickly. Here am I. Of course, God is waiting. In the silence. Oh, to know that he is near. Earth recedes and heaven opens. God is waiting. God is near. Let's kneel in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would show me what may be holding back some blessing from my life you're wanting to give me. Help me to identify anything that needs to be cast out of my life. Show me the path to your favor and blessing. Give me courage to be honest with you and with myself. In Jesus' name, amen.